this is Ryan with All Thread Voice with episode four, the podcast about business, life, and strategy. Hopefully you'll be inspired to do it yourself or sit back and listen. We're in the middle of a beginning series where Ted has taken the business from the Case Goods Partnership to his own sole proprietorship. Alongside, he's also worked as an overroad truck driver. Listen in as we begin this conversation. Um, so how was your week? Uh, it was pretty good. Um, yeah, kind of semi-normal, I guess. We're still locked down to the 15th or shut in or whatever the term is. And a uh, few orders coming in. It's it's not business as usual. I was kind of thinking about the last podcast. I said something about 9-11 being on a Monday. It was on a Tuesday. I had the wrong day. But, yeah, it was a good week. How about you? Yeah, we both read, um, listened to the Gabriel Hamilton and the Prune Restaurant. It was on the New York Times pod, podcast, oh, yeah. the, the Daily. Um, and I don't know, I think that was like, if anybody's interested in to listening to us talk um, and talk about business, um, that is definitely a worth a listen. I think, I think the thing is, is there hasn't been... At least I haven't heard anybody really talk about in a very serious way what it's like to run a business, and especially with like a re- like a restaurant that's the profits are razor thin, and that every decision can like alter the business, and you're that you're that like one service from being in basically disaster. Um, maybe not one service, maybe it's a couple services, couple night services. But you know that's the you know it's on that razor edge then of making whether you're gonna make it or not. I don't know. What did you think? Yeah, that was refreshing. I'm glad you shared that because uh, no nobody. I don't know. There's a, we have a lot of caring friends, a lot of caring customers, and uh, fortunately we work with a lot of business owners mostly. So I, I think they get it, but I, I'm not sure our family and friends do. They. They're great people. We love them to death. They have the best intentions. But, um, yeah, it's this is even this is different. We we talked about it a little bit before about, you know, comparing this to 2008 or and I was thinking about that the other day. We were involved in the late 80s. We moved to Texas and we got to see the oil crash. And that's something people don't talk about. That was quite interesting. Uh, that hit Texas pretty hard, and we moved there at the end of it. That, but uh, yeah, running a business with this much uncertainty, yeah, it's, it's not easy. It's uh, because you know basically anybody staying open right now is borrowing to stay open, and you're agreeing to pay it at a later date. Well, we don't know what the later date looks like if we can so we're just all of us that are in business are basically just digging our hole deeper and hope that there will be a later date and there's something i I didn't realize how much of a fog i'm really in until i listened that podcast then i started looking back on the last four weeks and it's been kind of a fog for me i've yeah it's, it's 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 interesting and that was a really good podcast um you know, she talked about how she was going to let her business just rest and see 
what happens when she comes out of it because she's been in business 20 some years and anybody that's been in business for a while you've had some calamities that's just the nature of the beast you, you talk to anybody they've had a fire or they've had you know different things and and they've had to deal with including 2080 you know economy type things so she's been through a few of them and had some experience and so she made the decision just to close the doors, let her business rest when she can go back, you know, let's see what happens. And we made a little different decision. We thought about that, but we decided to invest our time and our energy into um, improving our business and getting ready when it does come back, that we'll be stronger and we can fight a little harder. Yeah, and I don't think one op- one choice is better than no. the other. You know, and I think each person has to make that personal decision and i don't think it's this or that each person has to make that decision and each industry segment is different too you know i think when you're manufacturing products like what we do and what and in some ways we feel like we're still in the infancy of what we do um i think there's a lot of investment that has to go into the processes and you know how you do things and why you do things and there's a lot of like back-end processing that goes in um i've never been in the i've never worked a, a shift on, on a line or been in restaurant service but i feel like restaurants is kind of that one thing that you know yeah you have your wolfgang puck and you have say your your corner diner but you know the gestalt of that restaurant is going to be the same you know you're going to have people cooking food getting the mise en place ready um, doing things that are pretty much standard across the restaurants. But when you get into manufacturing of products, um, I think then that's where things just diverge. You know, you, you know, yeah, you may have two manufacturers, but if they make two different products, you know, they're going to be completely different, you know, and there's, you know, the, the, the processes are going to be the same. The only thing that might be the same is like the sales orders or the invoicing or something like that. Yeah, I agree. You got to make the decision that's best for you, whether it's to shut down and just when it reopens or whatever decision. I I, I agree a hundred percent. You you got to be comfortable with that. Well, that and also I think that was interesting. And she she talked about having all the accolades, the James Beard Awards, the Emmy, and then she's still quite like cleaning under the ranges, and she's still doing all the kitchen maintenance, even though she's got all these awards. But she's still got to be the one getting dirty. It's, yeah, there's like, there's, I think there's days just like that in this business where you feel like you were successful or you got recognition by a client. But then at the end of the day, you're still the person that's cleaning out the something that you don't want to be doing or doing the maintenance or taking care of it. So no matter how hard, like, you know, how, like, how you feel like you're flying that day. You, the reality still comes. You're the one that's responsible for the, the grunt work. Yeah, totally. Uh, you're you're the res- one responsible, and whether it's the labor or the work or you know the finances, yeah. It, and 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 we talked about that before a little bit. That in the small businesses that we're used to, the restaurants, the auto places, the builders. Uh, all the different services, we all benefit from it because somebody has their name on a line for that business. Somebody's working long hours. There's a lot to go in to what we're enjoying, and that's part of the capitalist system. Uh, consumer, we benefit, and hopefully the business owner 
I would say the consumer probably gets the better end of the deal, but yeah, you, you know, you're right. It's you're the one do, doing the work and responsible. Yeah, because you, when you talk about like borrowing, you're not necessarily talking about like the PPP or the EIDL. Um, you know, a lot of businesses, even if you don't have a line of credit, you're still borrowing from somebody. Like either you're going to borrow from your vendors, either you're going to extend terms out to 90 days, or you're going to, you know, you're going to come up with a cash. And so, so when you say you borrow, there's all sorts of ways that you can borrow and not all of them are, I guess, liquid. So, um, so they're not all cash instruments. So you're not going to have like a loan or a line of credit. You might be doing some intangibles on IOUs and a hope and prayer, or you might even be in borrowing from your employees and ask them to take the big, you know, like jump with you and say, okay, well, we might not have money at the end of this to pay payroll. Um, and that's what we're talking about, I guess, when we're talking about borrowing for money. And then the last thought was like, like there's a difference between when you run a business or like a side hustle and it's just yourself or maybe it's just you and your partner and or, or spouse and you're you're doing doing the side hustle. But when you start to involve other people and not even just like other employees or people that work for you, but you start to involve vendors now you're bringing other people's livelihoods into, you know, and if you go down, you can take your vendors down, you can take your customers down, you can take your employees down. So now, now is that that responsibility for, you know, you, to your employees, but it's also to your vendors and your customers, and, you know, and your clients. And, you know, I think that's, that's the biggest thing when you run a business. And I think that was the thing that Gabriel Hamilton really kind of, was able to touch on in a very succinct way, in a very meaningful way, and like a great piece to listen to. It. Yeah, yeah, totally. The decisions you make, uh, they they affect the vendors, your employees, your customers, and yeah, there there's a lot of weight on your shoulder, and I think that's where the fog comes in. You know, the last six to eight weeks, you know, you're trying to make the decisions best way you can, and you're feeling around in the dark. Yeah, um, about like the fog and how just kind of how fast things are. You know, you talk to other people that are working from home and now it's like the next time for the podcast is like, oh, wow, that, that just like the weeks seem to be just speeding by for me. It just is like, you know, you can't like stop and just like it, and enjoy it. It just seems like there's always something going on. It's just like nonstop. I can't believe that it's almost, you know, it will. It is now May. So it's. You know, we've just cruised through March and April. And it's just kind of like, those, for me, those months didn't even exist. We just blew right through them. Well, yeah, that and also with a smaller staff, we're doing a lot more work. So we're, we're even though we're minimum basic, we don't have a lot of orders. But the few of us here, it just makes it twice as busy now. You know, normally you're doing four or five jobs. Well, now you're doing, you know, maybe a dozen different jobs. And that just really packs in your day. So I, I think that helps with speeding things up. Yeah, and I think it's, the, I got, you know, if any, there's, with the coronavirus and this, this COVID-19, and there's like so much bad that's going out of it, especially for us. But the one, I think the one good thing I can take of it from is it gives me the opportunity to go back to the basics and really work on, the, you know, the print shop and really work on screen the screen shop 
and really start at the beginning and really build it back up from the basics and understanding really what I want the, the print shop to be and how I want it to operate and what, what values we're going to stand on. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That's, that makes sense. It, it, it has helped it slow it up and, and, you know, give us the time to reflect and yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Cause I think it's just like, it's all about like the basics and the fundamental and just kind of going back to the basics. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Totally agree. So we'll get into our topic. We've been uh, last three episodes. We've been talking to Ted um, about the beginning days of American Chair Store, um, as he took it from the partnership to the American Chair Store as as we kind of know it today. Um, that was his sole proprietorship. Um, he, he started to launch it onto Yahoo stores. While he walked, you know, ran American Chair Store. He was also driving full, you know, truck full time. So doing two jo- two full time jobs with a family. Um, we, last episode, we talked about the basically having a basement warehouse and the, the difficulties and the challenges that brought out. And then where we're going to pick it up today was um, the garage is kind of the, the, the first location that he had that's outside side of the house, 24 by 24 space, ideal for the beginning operations American Chair Store. And could you kind of paint the picture of what that garage looked like to everybody else? Yeah, I, we had some friends that had a newer house, and it was a uh, not sure what they call raised ranch or not, but it was a newer style house to where, uh, when you looked at it, you know, it was, had attached garage and the normal, you know, newer look of a home. But in the back part, there's a driveway went went around to the back. And they had a garage under the garage. So I'd have a roll-up door, and it was a full-size garage under it. And that space was empty, and that was 24 by 24. And they rented that out to us. And we were there, I don't know, maybe about a year. Um, Seemed to go by pretty fast. And that was kind of a wake-up call for me once we did that, because now I have rent and kind of some of the things that you were talking about I had vendors before, but it, it seemed more like a part-time job. It didn't really seem to get real uh, until I broke it out of my house. Then it's it's like, okay, um, you know, the invoices got a little larger, and it just really started changing things. But it was a, a warehouse, and we set up a banquet table. We put a computer on it, a shipping scale on one wall. In the middle, we set up aisles about two feet wide to walk down. So you only had like two, three aisles because it's not that big. And we the cardboard boxes with the towels in them or the flower sack towels, or uh, I think we have maybe pillows at the time. And those we just stacked on the ground and stacked up as high as we could. And we made two, three aisles. So if you opened up the garage, you know, you'd see rows of boxes, then one wall, a banquet table a little chair and a shipping scale and that that was our first spot so what year was it that you moved into that garage location that's a, that's a good question i should have looked that up before we did this uh well that would have been maybe 2004 2005 i'm not sure i'd have to look that up so how many years uh, were you in business by yourself at that point and uh, we were probably a year or two, a couple years on my own at that point. That, uh, yeah, I think it was about two years that I started realizing that, you know, 
we're out growing the home and it's just not going well having deliveries and shipping product out of the house. So what was your growth strategy at that that point for growing the business? Yeah, I, I, I really did not have a growth strategy. That's kind of funny to ask that because I had a job one time where this is a trucking company I worked for. And for whatever reason, I wasn't driving that day. They had this warehouse and they wanted me and another guy clean it up or take some stuff out of this warehouse. It wasn't a big warehouse. Is where they stored like office records. So I don't know. I don't really remember what we were doing. If they had, um, you know, basically it is a, a pole barn with shelves in it with these office records. So they must have had some office records they were throwing out and cleaning. They wanted us to haul off. So that's what we were doing. And I happened to see on the top of the stack of papers we're hauling out to the dumpster, the growth strategy from the 1950s, 1990s of this trucking company. And I noticed it was a, a slow, gradual curve up from the 1950s to 90. It wasn't like any spikes or anything, just a slow, gradual incline. And that's how I kind of saw my business. I, I I wasn't trying to get the instant success, trying to land that big box store account or anything or some of the books and things you hear about. My idea was just trying to maintain the business, reinvest, and just kind of a slow, steady climb. Um, climb. So what was your like market strategy? Was it trying to grow through you know phone calls? you know, rent ads in the paper, um, pull out internet advertisement. Um, what was kind of the marketing strategy to, to basically feel that growth? The marketing strategy was that when I made a decision to have that warehouse in my basement, not drop ship, provide quality soft goods, my marketing strategy was really aimed at the small business. And I knew that like a bed and breakfast would need bath towels, sheets, and pillowcases, and aprons. And back then, we did a fair amount of bed and breakfast. We did some small hotels. We worked with some restaurants, pizza shops, bagels. And that was basically my clientele. And uh, I did some PP pay-per-click advertising with Google. And that seemed to help out. That was right in the beginning when Google made their changes and started focusing on small businesses and letting us target uh, our ad strategy and our keywords so we could attract those business. And, and that was basically where I was at at that time. It wasn't really much broader than that. It was just relationship selling, phone calls, no ads in the paper or magazine or anything like that, just phone calls or even when I was home and wasn't driving truck, if I had some time, I'd go out to the restaurant or uh, business and I'd meet them and the uh, internet advertising. So you, you're really pushing that USP of, you know, the quality small batch textiles are hand inspected. You're just basically trying to find clients that fit that USP, right? Yeah, exactly. That's... That was, yeah, it was a quality product and a service. And and um, I, I knew I couldn't be too expensive. You know, a, a small business only can pay so much. But I was trying to provide value to them. And, and that's what, what we were doing. So you're cold calling or? 
Yeah, yeah. I we've always had cold calling in this business. We still do that, and um, basically try to find where we can help people out if they, you know, have a business and they're they're buying cleaning towels or aprons for their business and and how is that going for them if it's going well then we probably can't help them out but if they're struggling or having some issues it's costing them money or time we might be able to help them out so at this time was this uh, your your first payroll check that you had to uh you know cut to somebody or when did your first first payroll start that was was in there. I, I had one person kind of working for me out of the basement doing some inspecting, but I think I was just paying piece rate and a 1099. And, and, uh, but once we got into the warehouse, then uh, she started working, I think, 20 hours a week. And that's when I had my first payroll. So what was the feeling like to have your first employee? Well, it gets back to kind of like what you were saying, the responsibility. Then it's like... Well, they're going to expect this every week. They're going to make plans and things with their lives. And I understood from the get-go that the responsibility, not only do the vendors and pay the invoices, not only the taxes pay, you know, I, I got all that. And then and I fully understood the responsibility with the, the payroll. So how long did, this, did the business last in the garage? And what was your tipping point to go to another location and to expand? Uh, the tipping point began again with the trucks because this house was out in the country or suburbs. And so trucks getting in there, there wasn't a lot of houses on the road. And with that drive around to the back, it was doable. It wasn't as bad as my home that I live in. I live in a subdivision where this was more country kind of if you can call that so it wasn't too bad but as the trucks started to increase and fedex and ups uh, I, I i didn't have like a truck a day or every hour but if you have a truck a week you know or every few days it, it starts adding up you know working out of a home when a home was never intended for you know, running a business, you know, even one a week or two weeks can, can become a bit much. So that was the, the tipping point. It just started filling up room and we started, you know, getting a few and it just natural growth. We outgrew the space. So, you know, you're basically able to fuel a business that can grow from a garage just by cold calling, running, running a couple internet ads, but really you know, just kind of really hammering that USP, but really there wasn't no, nothing else that really fueled that fueled that growth besides just cold calling, internet advertisement, and relationship marketing. That there was no, there's nothing else that really pushed that growth. No, exactly, and, and providing a good product because we even talk about it now that when the customer gets our order they they receive it they open it that's the only thing they know about acs is when they got something in their hand and they're looking at it they don't see you and me they don't see the employees they don't see the building they don't see any of that they just see the the package in front of them and it's either what they're expecting and delivering value and and they're satisfied or it's a bad experience and so we we've always put a lot of value in that experience when they received the package. That's been um, a decision from get-go. And, and so 
yeah, I can call up a customer, I can land the account, but if the experience doesn't provide what they're looking for, all the calling and all the contacting isn't going to get you anywhere. So that was, you know, my my first employee. She did a good job making sure that, you know, it was the right product, it looked right, it was packaged well, everything was what the customer um, expected. So her dedication also helped get us to where we're at. So how do you get people to trust you that you can send them towels? Yeah, that's, well, I think by nature, people on a whole are trusting and if you present yourself well, um, that's one of the things from the er- early on. We had an 800 number, uh, phone number. You know, we had a dedicated email. Our email wasn't, you know, tad at gmail.com. We had, you know, a dedicated email. And it was, our website was decent at the time. And you, you put your best foot forward. Even though people are trusting, uh, that goes a long way in that trust that you've taken the time and energy to establish yourself, and then they're willing to give you a chance. Uh, so no catalogs or anything like that? No like direct mailing or anything? No, no. We I, I've been watching that for a long time, and, and I've, I've talked to other businesses that went that route. And I remember talking to uh, somebody in a business similar to what I had, a towel business, but they drop shipped and they uh, they had a catalog and they found a way to print it pretty cheaply out of Florida. And I was tempted to do that. And I don't know, I just felt like the relationship sells the relation type sales and delivering a quality product is, is what we need to do and and what we could afford. And I just kept that going. So do you think somebody could find a product that they believe in and then just start selling it? Or do you think it's a little bit more complicated than that? No, I think they, I, I think they're, is always opportunity, but in the line in the song says, all the good things have been taken. And that's not true. There's opportunity every day. All the good things have not been taken. If you find a product that you make or a a product that somebody else makes and and you believe in it and you know they can supply, uh, there's opportunity out there. And, and, you know, whether you do relationship sales, cold call, you decide to do a, a catalog, there's, it can be done. It it's definitely can be done. But it's not going to be easy. No, it's not going to be easy. That's why you have to, it has to be in you. It's something I learned. I had a pizza job very short time when I was about 14, 15, I think. I can't remember. I was quite young. And I realized that if you work in a pizza restaurant, pretty quickly you're going to get tired of pizza and pizza smell and anything to do with pizza. So you have to really like the job, you know, to stay at it. And and that might be a bad analogy because there's probably a lot of people out there that have had pizza jobs for a long time, and it's not that they like the pizza job; it just fits the need they have. But I think you can see where I'm going with it. That you know if if, if you're going to do this and invest in it, it it's it's got to be in you. It's got to be because I had a, a friend of mine that was a, a welder and 
Somebody asked him, well, why don't you turn this into a business? And then he said, well, then it won't be a hobby and I wouldn't have the passion for it. So you, you got to kind of separate that out is, you know, is, is this a job, something you want to do? Um, you know, you could still like welding and have a passion for it and run a business, but you got to understand that. And so it still gets back to like what we talked about early on. Before any you set up TPS or you set up anything, you got to understand why you're doing it, and it still gets back to that. Yeah, you know, I think the thing is, is for you, you kind of almost fell into this a little bit. I don't think you set out life as being a towel salesman. No, exactly. And and you, I can't remember, you stumbled on something with a website this week where the guy said that he fell into screen printing and. And that's kind of the same thing for me. But the, the difference is I enjoy the chess game of business. So for me, whether it's selling towels or boats or a tool and die job, I think I'd be fine because I enjoy the fundamentals of the strategy of, of playing the game, it's, it, you know, if, if you want to use that word it's not a game it's quite serious but i enjoy the fundamentals of the business and that's so towels you know give me the opportunity it's it's kind of like bob hope you know it said that he does comedy so he can play golf and it's kind of the same thing that's that's what i do i i sell towels so i can play business it's more over the the process over the products because i because i think some people put product first over process. They go, okay, well, if I have a neat product, then I can bring a business around the neat product instead of enjoying the process first. Yeah, yeah, totally. And there's a, 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 I don't know if it's a good line or good saying, but there's a podcast about truck driving I used to listen to, and it was kind of like what we're doing in the, in the fundamentals of running a truck trucking business and, and how to be successful in your business. And really, guy did a good job. I think he's still on the air. I haven't listened to him in a while. But he said, do not make the mistake if you see a, a semi-truck on the corner and you think, well, I always wanted to drive a truck and and this is a good time for me to quit or retire and I'll buy that truck and start a, a trucking business. And he said, that's a horrible idea to go into trucking. You want to go into the trucking business because you can add value, you think you can give something to the market. And ultimately, like you said, you like the process and the challenge of it. So there, there's a lot more to it than like, you're right, than oh, I have this widget. So I think the world needs it and I can make a lot of money. That's a bad idea. Yeah, I think the the quote that you're looking at, and I can't remember it fully, but it's off of Richard Sachs's uh, website, the bicycle frame maker, uh, Richard Sachs. I think he said something that he didn't set out to be a, a bicycle frame maker. He he is he. I think he phrased it as he is a a bicycle frame maker. He said it much more brilliantly than I am saying it. But I think that what when I read it, the process is is he's not there to just to be it or just to do the job, but he's fully embracing it, like finding his identity and being a bicycle frame maker. I might not be explaining it the best way. Um, is there are some people that have jobs, like I see it in the design community. The um, some people are industrial designers, 
And then when they get done doing the, the design job, they're off to their hobbies. But you find some industrial designers that they are industrial designers. They talk about industrial design after the work done, is done. They enjoy the process. They enjoy like looking at the Instagram pictures, looking at the portfolios. It like encompasses their entire identity as a person. Rather, it's not a job that they're checking into, and it's a way to put food on on the table. And you know, my personal opinion is that the person that really embraces that career as their identity, they're gonna have more longevity because they enjoy the process, they love everything about it. Whereas the person that just does it as a job, once they see like career frustration or career burnout, they're going to drop out of that profession. They're going to be on to something else. You know, it's like you see see and listen to other people throughout life and they talk about, okay, well, I was a lawyer, I was a doctor, and now I did this. You know, it's the the career that they were on or the life path they were on, they, they just, they didn't fully, I guess, identify as it. And then they just kind of hit that burnout process and goes, well, this is not really for me. Yeah, and, and what you're talking about is not the workaholics where, you know, that's a totally separate issue. That's, to me, kind of a form of abuse, uh, whether it's yourself or other people. That's not what you're talking about. Yeah, mm-hmm. what you're talking about is the old saying, find something you like and, you know, the customers will follow. You You, you know, find a, a profession you like and you never have to work a day in your life is what you're talking about. Um, you know, life is broken up into, into segments. You have your work life, your home life, you know, your church life or whatever it is. You have your different segments. So, you know, your work life doesn't, you know, transcend into your home life. That's totally separate. That's not what you're talking about. You're, you're talking more about find something you enjoy. You never have to work a day in your life because when you find something you enjoy, like what you're talking about, then you're technically not working. You know, you're doing what is inside you and, and the ability that, you know, that you have. Yeah, I think it's more of like the passion, what I call the passion problem. And and you see a lot of people, young people get told when they're in high school and college, you go find something you're passionate about. Well, the problem is if you're not passionate, what do you do? Right. And so I think the thing is, is being open and trying and those doors will, will, will open for you. So if you keep on trying and stepping through doors, you might fall on your, your face a couple of times, but you'll eventually find something. It's for me, I think printing is not something that came to me in very early in life. Um, it, it was something I would like to do, I've done earlier in life, but it's like one of those things that I was playing very tangentially around screen printing with having a, you know, commercial art degree, um, working in a studio and then also being a mechanic and just a kind of, a lot of different life paths really kind of pushed me into printing. And it's something that it's not something that I would normally say I'm passionate about printing, but it's something that I really enjoy and something I can do every day. I don't get burnout, and, you know, and it's something that I do enjoy looking and talking to people after hours, and it's not something that I get tired of, but it's not something I would say I'm totally passionate about all the time. Yeah, yeah, like I said, it, it fits into find something you enjoy and you, you don't have to work, and um, yeah, I mean, ultimately work is work. It's, you know, you, you can come up with 
different analogies and different comparisons. I mean, at the end of the day, it's still work. You're still tired. There's still days that you get frustrated. I, I mean, all the ups and downs, but yeah, it, it is a it is a blessing that if, if you are able to find something that you enjoy and, and you can do that day in and day out. Ted and I got a little carried away on a side conversation, and we want to try and keep this podcast around 40 minutes. Listen in to next week as we pick up where we left off. Ted is going to describe a little bit more with the, with the second location where he had the, the garage. This is about two years into his endeavors with the American Chair Store. And in the next episode, we're going to talk about where he grows into a full-time commercial space, some of the difficulties. The next episode, we really want to discuss growth and how do you grow grow a company and what does that look like and what are the new challenges you have to take in and once again thank you for your support as we close this episode out we love to hear the feedback and we love to hear from our family and friends thank you for listening have a great week and be safe be healthy and thank you for listening